Welcome to episode 186 of This Week in Linux, recorded live on February 19th of 2022. From the Destination Linux Network, I'm Michael Tunnell. If you're new to the show, this is the podcast that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. On this week's episode, we've got some distro news to talk about. We've also got some app news, some gaming news, and even a little bit of legal news to cover. All of this and so much more coming up right now on your weekly source for Linux Good News. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean, Visuex, and by Bitwarden. Before we get started with the show this week, I wanted to make a quick announcement starting next week. Twill will be moving to the network channel for live streams. I will continue to release the edited episodes on this same channel, as I always have been. The only thing that's changing is the live streams will be moving to the network channel. The reason is that we're going to be doing all the live streams from one channel to make it easier for everyone to know where the streams will be. So the main network channel is the location for all live streams from the network. Although there might be some live streams on this channel still for like when I do gaming, like Rocket League or something else. So there still might be some streaming. It'll just be more focused on stuff that I'm doing, not necessarily show-related stuff. For all the show-related streams, check out the main channel. I'll have links in the show notes. First in the show this week, we've got a lot of updates for you around the Steam Deck. First of all, Valve has released the CAD files for the external shell. On Twitter, they said, Good news for all the tinkerers, modders, accessory manufacturers, and other folk who just want to 3D print a Steam Deck to see how it feels. We've published CAD files for the external shell for download. Last week, we talked about dbrand's uh, Project Kill Switch, and with this announcement, they joked on Twitter replying, So, no cease and desist then. Uh, related to the whole, they are an accessory manufacturer. And anyway, we don't know exactly what their Project Kill Switch is, but hopefully soon we will. But for now, we also let's continue with the rest of the news because Valve is being awesome still with another announcement about replacement parts. Because iFixit posted a teardown of the Steam Deck, and instead of getting all mad like other companies do, Valve decided to partner with iFixit for replacement parts for the Steam Deck and also replacement parts for the Valve Index VR products. And to continue with Valve being great is that there's an update to the playable on uh, Steam Deck verification. So less than a week away from the release of the Steam Deck, over 600, 640 games have been certified as playable or better for the Steam Deck. This is over 100 more certified since last week. So the progress is, is pretty good. So Valve also has clarified how they test for native Linux and or Proton for the Steam Deck for the certification system. They say, and I quote, By default, we will test a Linux build if one is available. If the Linux build fails compatibility tests and other ex or otherwise experiences significant issues, then we'll, then we'll test the Windows build of your game running under Proton. Our goal is, to, is for customers to have the smoothest experience possible on deck, so we'll submit whichever set of test results is more favorable. Your compatibility test results will specify what runtime they were generated on, and you can see details in the details section of your report under the recommended runtime field for the developers. So this is great. Uh, this is also some, a response to some information that was kind of mis, mis, uh, a little confusing on the ProtonDB website and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of stuff there. You can check it all out in the links below. So if you'd like to learn more, check out the show notes. Up next in the show, did you think we were done with Valve? No, 
we're not. We got some more stuff. So this is Proton 7.0 has been released. Valve has announced the latest major release of the Proton compatibility layer, which is for running Windows games on Linux. Some people refer to this as magic, but others call it Proton. Proton 7.0 updates to be based on the Wine 7.0 release that we talked about previously. This also includes upgrades to DXVK 1.9.4 for DirectX 9, 10, and 11, and also updates for the newer VKD3D for Proton, uh, which is for the DirectX 12 to Vulkan translation, and also it updates Wine-Mono to 7.1.2. Proton 7.0 also brings over performance improvements around input, windowing, and memory allocation from uh, Proton Experimental. It also announced that this new release adds uh, 22 new games that are now playable with this latest version. And Proton 7.0 also brings in support for easy anti-cheat if the game has enabled the Linux module, but it's really awesome that that's being available now. Also adds support for local decoding of H.264 videos, uh, improvements to the Steam input for games using Origin, better audio in games like Skyrim and Fallout 4, and fixes for the Paradox launcher, and so much more. So thanks again to Valve, CodeWeavers, ProtonDB, and everyone else out there helping to improve gaming on Linux because it is much, much appreciated. If you have to learn more about this latest version of Proton 7.0, links in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release of OBS Studio with 27.2. So OBS Studio is a fantastic piece of software. I use it every single time I make this show, as well as every time I make Destination Linux and we do streams and do recordings and all sorts of stuff. OBS Studio is awesome. Now, this latest release of 27.2 introduces a lot of cool features and new supports for a variety of different things. So first of all, it's the first uh, has a full official flat pack and also flat hub support. And also because it's an official package, we also now get proper service integration. This means that instead of entering a streaming key for Twitch, for example, you can now log in to Twitch within OBS to get all of the goodies like Twitch-specific docs and stuff like that. This, this latest version of 27.2 also has support from some devices from AJA Video Systems. AJA has products available from streaming devices to some very high-end audio and video devices. And uh, also, AJA has supported Linux for a while with some of their products and continues to add support for Linux with their to their lineup all the time. Uh, AJA also open-sourced their SDK and driver to help with this, so mad props to them for that. This latest version of OBS 27.2 also upgraded the CEF or the Chromium uh, framework from uh, 75 to 95, which will improve a lot of different features for the browser sources and various things like that because, well, 75 was a little dated and it's, it's good that it updated that. Also, it got a lot of improvements for the pipe wire capture, and also you now have the ability to set different blend modes to sources. This is very cool because this means you can do a lot of cool blending effects with functions similar to graphics editing software. So you can do uh, screen blends or multiply blends and stuff like that. Really cool. I'll have a link in the show notes that shows you exactly what that means. So you can see like a demo video for that. Uh, Also, there's a lot of updates to hotkeys. So there's now a hotkey filter searching, which is awesome because for people who are like me, who have a ton of scenes and a ton of sources in every one of those scenes, it creates a lot of different hotkey options inside of the settings. So you'll scroll forever. Now being able to search uh, or filter these hotkeys and a lot easier because you used to be kind of do it with like just the source name, but now you can do it with the actual hotkey filter itself. Awesome. 
Really happy about that. Also, hotkey for browser sources to allow refreshing a browser source. Also, there's a framework now for future support of background hotkeys on Wayland. Now, it's not ready yet, but it will be coming in a future release. OBS Studio 27.2 also adds experimental AV1 encoding support via the CPU-based AOM AV1 and the SVT AV1 encoders. But again, the, these are should be treated as experimental, so it will require kind of a high-end processor to do this at sufficient encoding speeds. But if you do have one of those, you can check that out. And if you'd like to learn more about the latest release of OBS 27.2, link in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean allows businesses to grow faster because their developers can build on a simple, affordable cloud that they love. DigitalOcean has the cloud computing services builders need and the predictable pricing and developer-friendly features and scalability that they want. A simple, scalable cloud platform that makes developers happy. That is DigitalOcean. So DigitalOcean has tons of great stuff for like, for example, they have an infrastructure as a service, uh, service building block. They also have the cloud native options for managed Kubernetes, also platform as a service for all compute, networking, storage, and database needs. Plus they have this rich marketplace of one-click apps, which is awesome. The DigitalOcean marketplace has tons of great stuff. I've used it multiple times. You can leverage popular CMS, e-commerce, web application frameworks, and developer tools to expedite your development. Also, they have a ton of great tutorials from the basics of virtual machines to database optimizations and container orchestrations. And also, DigitalOcean has predictable costs and billing systems. Basically, you, you know what you get because you know what you're going to pay for because you know what you're going to be using. So you always know what you'll pay per month with a flat pricing structure across all data center regions. And as a listener of the This Week in Linux podcast, well, a Twiller, you could say, and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's even better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 free credit when you sign up at do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. For those that don't get that, tux is the name of the Linux Penguin mascot. So to get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform, go to do.co slash tux2022. And want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, we got some legal news, and that is AMD has completed its acquisition of Xilinx. So AMD hopes this semiconductor mega deal, uh, well, as they put it, uh, to further cement it as the industry's high-performance and adaptive computing leader. Uh, Xilinx is becoming AMD's Adaptive and Embedded Computing Group, or AECG, which will be led by the former CEO of Xilinx, Victor Peng. This deal increases AMD's total addressable market from around $80 billion to $135 billion and expands its customer base and leverages AMD's new mark and into new markets. It will also provide some R&D benefits or research and development benefits moving forward, and AMD hopes it will strengthen their financial model. If you'd like to learn more information about this latest acquisition for AMD and Xilinx, I'll have links in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release of Kali Linux 2022.1 has been released. If you're unfamiliar with Kali Linux, 
I'll give you a brief breakdown of what it is. Kylinux is a Linux distribution that is for penetration testing or security tools and things like that. So it's actually kind of referred to as offensive security, which I like that term. It's pretty good. Uh, also, this release has a lot of imp improvements and changes rather to visuals and also functionality. So let's get into it. So there's a visual refresh for the new login design. There's also a new design for the installer. There's also been some changes to the UEFI and the BIOS boot menus. They both now have a new revamp design that make them look very cohesive. And there's also some new wallpapers and as well as a new change to the shell prompt. So there's some visual improvements to the improved readability when copying code and that sort of thing for the ZSH or ZSH, depending on where you're from. There's also some improvements to the browser structure because they changed the landing page on Firefox and Chromium to have a makeover to help you access everything Kali related that you might need. Also, Kali has now introduced the everything image. Now, this is an, a pack, and basically, it's an ISO that has all packages in one solution, and you can get this when, well, it's, keep in mind, it's massive. So, this allows for a complete offline standalone image for those who require all of Kali's tools to be pre-installed. So it goes from a 2.8 gigabyte roughly to a 9.4 gigabyte ISO. So it will require some uh, adjustments there. Uh, Kali Linux ha also has Kali Tweaks and it now features an easier way to connect to legacy SSH servers in its latest release of 22 or 2022.1. They've also made some changes to the accessibility features of Kali Linux, so they've added speech synthesis back into the Kali Linux installer, which is pretty awesome. They've also added six new tools and but well and also before I end this topic, I feel like I must mention that Kali Linux is not meant to be used by most users. Kali Linux is, is meant to be used by professional pen testers, not meant to be used as a daily driver. If you are a professional pen tester, though, you can feel free to ignore this warning. But everyone else, Kali Linux is meant to break your, make, not your system. It's meant to break into systems. It's not meant to be used as a daily driver. And if you're not a pen tester, then Kali Linux themselves recommend that you find another distro to run for day-to-day -day purposes. If you'd like to learn more about Kali Linux, though, maybe for you want to check out the latest 2022.1 release, whether you want to just play around with it, or if you're a pen tester and want to actually try it out and use it for your services, then links in the show notes. Up next in the show, we have the latest release of AV Linux, which is MX21. So AV Linux has announced the latest release of this distro, and it comes with a lot of changes. The biggest change is that they have moved from a Debian base to now basing on MX Linux, which is also based on Debian, but it's much different. So this is also based on the AHS version of MX Linux, which is the advanced hardware support version. So MX Linux 21 itself is based on Debian 11 Bullseye. Uh, and this also this new version of AV Linux MX 21 is using this new naming scheme to align with the latest releases of MX Linux itself. Now, because it is based on the AH, AHS version of MX Linux, this means it will have newer core components. So it ships with version 5.15 LTS of the Linux kernel, a more recent Mesa graphics stack than default Debian bases for better hardware support. It also includes a, the, a different kernel, the different kind of kernel. So it's uh, the Licorix, Licorix kernel is used by default in this release. This is a high-performance kernel configured for streaming and ultra-low latency requirements for multimedia production. By the way, Licorix is really hard. I always want to say licorice and, uh, every single time, but it's not. Li it's Licorix. And, but by the way, licorice is delicious. And for those who don't know, it's the core of how root beer is made. So just 
keep that in mind. Moving back to the actual topic. While it's based on MX Linux, it's not a respin. The developers say that this is the first version to not be a respin of an existing system, and it was built with the same tools that are used to build MX and Antix Linux. So this latest version of AV Linux has XFCE 4.16 desktop environment. It has a new Yawbridge support for a Windows VST plugins. There's also a new utility called BPM Converter for converting beats per minute of any song, which is really interesting. And also there's a new modular AV Linux assistant tool, as well as improvements to their user manual. And speaking of MX Linux, MX Linux is going to be on the Linux Saloon Lug Show that is happening uh, tonight, live streamed at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So if you are watching this live or you watch it right when it comes out later today, then you still might have time to show up to the uh, MX Linux edition of Linux Saloon tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. I'll have links in the show notes for the MX Linux, for AV Linux, and also for the Linux Saloon, if you'd like to check it out. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com DLN. Bitwarden is an awesome piece of software. It is a password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, it provides you with various different types of tools. For example, you have a secured vault to store all of your passwords. You have an auto generator to create those passwords. And you can also automatically fill in those passwords on login forms so you don't have to do any of this stuff. Plus, you have access across all of your different types of devices, whether it's your web browser, mobile application, desktop application, or even on the command line. Bitwarden has you covered, and also Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your devices, so you know you're the only person with access to your data, which is super important. Also, another important piece is that Bitwarden is open source software, which is one of the reasons I love Bitwarden. So check it out by going to bitwarden.com DLN. Did I mention you can get started for free? Because you can. But I also think you want to check out their premium accounts because you get a bunch of great stuff. You get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, Party Customer Service, Bitwarden Send, so much stuff. And you get all of this for less than a dollar per month. That's right. For less than a dollar per month, you get all of these great features. And you get a really get to support this such a great piece of software with Bitwarden. And also, you can check out their business and family plans. So, for example, if you have someone in your family that you want to get started with password manager and they've never tried it before you can help them do it by creating a family plan and setting it up for them you can also do like really good way of just sharing passwords back and forth it's really nice check it out bitwarden.com dln and make the smart move like many of the community have and get your account today and thanks again to bitwarden for sponsoring this week in linux up next in the show is Ubuntu Touch OTA 2022 has been released. So the UbiPorts team has announced the latest release of Ubuntu Touch with OTA 2022. Ubuntu Touch has a really interesting history being started by Canonical many years ago and as a replacement for Android and iOS. But when Canonical decided to end development on the project, the UbiPorts team uh, picked up the pace and stepped up to take it over. Uh, UbiPorts has been the driving force behind Ubuntu Touch for years now. One of the main stables of UbiPorts has announced his departure from the UbiPorts Foundation, though, so I wanted to cover that really quick. Friend of the show, Dalton Durst, has announced that he will no longer be working for the Foundation. Dalton is staying on as the chair of the membership committee, so before I get to the details of the latest release of Ubuntu Touch, I just wanted to acknowledge that uh, all the work that Dalton has done for over the years for UbiPorts and Ubuntu Touch and wish him well in his future endeavors. So let's talk about the latest release of OTA 2022. 
So this has support for about 60 devices of this latest release. This release of Ubuntu Touch is still based on Ubuntu 16.04, uh, and this latest version also has some changes to the Volaphone X. They're switching it to the Halium 10 system image, and this enables the fingerprint reader and fixes for a few other problems. There's also some other specifics for devices. I'll have those linked in the show notes. Uh, there's also support for camera now in the Morph browser. Now this is really cool because this means that video calls will work inside of Ubuntu Touch and the Morph browser. Now this is probably the most requested feature of this release, but to be clear, this is still only in the browser, but it should be open, you know, be kind of be uh, a kind of like a prerequisite for video calling inside of other applications. Also in this release of OTA 2022, or OTA 22, it just happens to be in 2022. Anyway, initial support for FM radio functionality has been added in this latest release, and they've also finally turned on WebGL for most devices. So there's a, this is a big update, and if you'd like to learn more about it, with Ubuntu Touch OTA 22, links in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release of KOS Linux. So this latest release of KOS Linux is 2022.02 has been released. Now, for those unfamiliar with KOS Linux, I always want to call it Chaos Linux. It's not technically supposed to be referred to as Chaos Linux. I still always want to say it that way, so it, I kind of do like a little of a brief skip when I try to say it. KOS Linux is a distro that was inspired by Arch Linux, but it is not directly based on Arch. It does use Pac-Man as its package manager, which makes people think that it's a derivative of Arch, but it's not. KOS uh, does not rely on software repositories developed or maintained by Arch. Instead, they use their own repos and manage the packages themselves. Uh, so this latest release of KOS 2022.02 has a lot of changes and a lot of really cool changes. For example, they're switching to Wayland by default with this latest version of KDE Plasma. Speaking of which, it has the latest version of KDE Plasma with 5.24. If you want to know about a more in-depth thing about KDE Plasma 5.24, check out the coverage that I did for that release of 5.24 on the last week's episode of Twill, and I, where I go into much, much more detail in that. This next re this release of KOS also has some changes to their media player. So they had some issues with the SM player for Wayland, so they're switching to Haruna, which is a replacement for the default media player, and it also acts as a front end to MPV, which MPV is a really nice player. I like that too. MPV and VLC kind of go back and forth which one I prefer the most, but that's pretty cool that they have a new ch a new option uh, for you know compensating for this for the SM player not working on Wayland. This release of KOS also comes with the Calendar 1.0 application, Calendar with a K. We'll be covering that later in this episode, in fact. Uh, so also this latest release of KOS 2022.02 uh, has powered by the Linux kernel 5.15.23 LTS, uh, Mesa 21.3.6, and Wayland 1.20. If you'd like to learn more about KOS or try it out for yourself, link in the show notes. Up next in the show is the 1.0 release of Calendar. We have covered Calendar before on this show, but this is the first 1.0 release, and it's the first like production-ready version of Calendar. For those who are not familiar with it, Calendar is a new Calendar app, but it's spelled with a K. It's Calendar. It's from KDE for those who didn't get the reference of why it's spelled with a K. Now, sometimes uh, KDE applications are spelled with a K, in the very beginning or whatever, but sometimes they're not. It just depends. This one is a really good one, though, because it's the exact same thing as you would normally say, except it's a K instead of a C, so I like it. 
Uh, Calendar is a full-featured and dedicated calendar client for the KDE Plasma desktop environment. You could use it on other DEs probably, but it is made specifically for the desktop environment of KDE Plasma. It's written using the Kirigami framework. It has support for many calendar services such as Nextcloud, Google Calendar, Microsoft Exchange, Open Exchange Groupware, uh, Collab Groupware, as well as the iCal and the DAV Calendar Data Exchange standards. So Calendar lets you add, edit, and delete calendar events from local and remote accounts. It has a lot of cool features. For example, it has multiple views, so you can do uh, month, week, day, schedule, and tasks. You can support maps for events, uh, K-Alarm integration, which, by the way, is really nice. K-Alarm is a very powerful application for KDE to be able to do create alarms, which is not just alarms. You can also uh, make it run commands when the alarm happens, so it's not just like a little notification for a ping or whatever. It can do all sorts of stuff. If you learn more about that, there's a link in the show notes for the Destination Linux episode where I covered it as an app pick, so you'll see that. It'll be the software spotlight on that one. But back to the the topic at hand with Calendar 1.0. It has support for recurring events, support for tags, attachments, attendees, also drag and drop support for tasks, as well as support for keyboard shortcuts. So, if you're interested in trying out Calendar, then you, it will depend on what distribution you are using, whether you'll find it or available right now or not with the latest release. You'll find it in repos like Fedora Linux, Arch Linux, OpenSUSE Tumbleweed, and others. But for those using Debian-based distributions, you might need to wait a bit longer for that because I'm not sure if it's available as a flat pack just yet. It may or may not be coming. I'm not sure but because it's, it's really early stages of the development of the application. But I'm really excited to try out Cal- Calendar 1.0 because... Well, the K organizer application is it's okay. It's not it's okay. This looks so much better with a modern calendar app and I am very excited to try it out. So, if you are too, link in the show notes. Just a quick update from the live chat. Turns out calendar with a K is also the common way of spelling it in multiple languages. So, there you go. Thanks to the people in the live chat for letting me know that. So, yeah, links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Visuex.com. Visuex is a brand strategy design consultancy. This is a fancy way of saying that Visuex helps brand and businesses achieve their goals and accelerate growth to convert leads into customers through design and marketing services. Also, by the way, it happens to be my company, so there's that. Visuex helps businesses gain a competitive advantage and build lasting relationships with their communities because businesses shouldn't settle for good enough when they can contact Visuex and get visual excellence. As a listener of the This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started with a free consultation. Plus, if you let them know, as in me, that you heard about it from this show, from Twill, you you can receive a 10% discount on your first project. So go to visuex.com slash DLN to get started. I want to thank Visuex, myself, for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, GNOME has released the beta for the next version of their desktop environment with GNOME 42. There's a lot to talk about GNOME 42, but before we get to that, I'd like to address something else first. Friend of the show, Neil McGovern, has announced that he will be stepping down as the executive director of the GNOME Foundation later this year. So Neil has been the executive director of the GNOME Foundation for five years, giving him the title the longest reigning GNOME champion. Okay, maybe I just made that part up completely, but... He has had that position for the longest in the history of the foundation, so that part that part is true. 
Uh, Gnome has changed a lot in the past five years. The foundation went from a small team of three people to now employing people for marketing, investment for technical frameworks, conference organization, and some more stuff. Also, Gnome has become the default desktop environment for all of the major Linux distributions in that period of time, as well as Gnome launched the Flat Hub to help find uh, help find flat packs for people, which is one of the things. I was campaigning for since the creation of Flatpaks, so well done there, Gnome. Uh, also, Gnome has even dealt with patent lawsuits in that period of time, which we covered on this here show. So, uh, it's very much very appreciative of the effort that's being done by the Gnome Foundation and also Neil McGovern. But Neil will be staying on for six months to ease the transition, so Neil... Thanks for all your hard hard work you've done for the Gnome Foundation, and also uh, best luck in your future endeavors. Now, let's get to the latest release of Gnome 42. So Gnome 42, well, it's the beta release, not the latest, it's the beta release. So Gnome 42 has a lot of new stuff. For example, there's a system-wide dark style preference, which is something a lot of people have been asking for for a long time, so it is great to be seeing it added into the latest, re- the next release. Uh, folder icon theme update is a much more modern approach to folder icons, which is very nice. Also, GTK4 and libadwaita is going to be in this release, and while maybe not everyone is excited about that part, there are some benefits to this change as well, so I'll cover this in more detail when GNOME 42 officially releases next month. They've also revamped the system settings. They made some improvements to the screenshot tool, use the screenshot tool's UI, as well as added native screen recording to the screenshot tool, which is pretty interesting. If you'd like to learn more about the latest beta release for GNOME with GNOME 42, link in the show notes. Up next in the show, we're going to talk about Google's Chrome OS Flex. So Google has announced early access to a new version of Chrome OS called Flex which runs on regular x86 hardware. They say it's offering people the chance to revive older PCs or even old out-of-support Macs. Isn't Google just so kind to finally offer something with their Linux distro that pretty much all Linux distros can do already? Okay, sure, I'm giving Google a little bit of a hard time about that, but I will say that Chrome OS is rather interesting in how it's built. First of all, it was originally based on Gentoo, and it has an interesting partitioning system, for example. It, it has a, a duplicate root partitions. And then the purpose of this is to allow a rollback of unsuccessful updates. You know, other distros do this with ButterFS snapshots instead, but this is still interesting. Now, the thing that makes this notable, even though Chromo, Chromium OS has existed for a while, uh, Chromebooks have their own special firmware, making it difficult to install on regular computers despite multiple different efforts. Uh, Neverware created a freemium product for this called Cloud Ready, and then Google acquired Neverware in 2020, and thus now we have Chrome OS Flex. With all that said, the claim about reviving older hardware, it's really limited in what it counts as older hardware, because the minimum system requirements include 64-bit architecture only, and a minimum of 4 gigabytes of RAM. So... That's not that old of hardware, but if you fit that and you want to use that for some reason, well, now you might be able to do it if you get access to the early the early access for Chrome OS Flex. Or you could use a regular Linux distribution and get be able to do a lot more than just use a browser. There's that too. <laughs> anyway, if you'd like to learn more about this latest news from Chrome, uh, Chrome OS Flex from Google, then uh, link in the show notes. From some meh Google news to some good news from Google's research or security research team, Project Zero. 
Stephen Von Nichols wrote an article on ZDNet.com about a new report from Project Zero, which reveals that Linux developers patch security holes faster than anyone else. So Project Zero looked at fixed bugs that had been reported between January 2019 and December 2021. The researchers found that developers fixed Linux issues in an average of only 25 days, while also improving their speed in patching security holes during that time from 32 days in 2019 to just 15 days in 2021. Now, and for comparison, Apple takes an average of 69 days. Apple take or Google and Apache take an average of 44 days each. And while Microsoft and Oracle are claiming the worst spots of the results, with Microsoft taking 83 days and Oracle taking 109 days to do patches. If you'd like to read this article for yourself from uh, ZDNet.com, I'll have a link in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have multiple ways to contribute via Patreon, sponsors, and others. You can learn more by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute to become a patron. And if you do become a patron, you can join me during the live stream in the recording stadium to discuss stuff between topics and also just hang out every week after the show in the patron-only post-show. We do that every week after the show on Saturdays. And you can also support the show by ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt or t-shirt, t-shirt, or the This Week in Linux t-shirt at dealinstore.com. Plus, while you're there, you can check out all the other great stuff. We have hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers. We even got desk mats and a bunch of other stuff, even coasters. So much cool stuff at dealinstore.com. And if you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episodes of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts, as I'm a co-host of both of those shows on the network. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time or 1800 UTC. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each and every week by going to dealinglive.com. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux news.